Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Hey everybody, we are back. And Matthew, you are sporting a very cool baseball cap. I am. Where'd you get it? I got it at Future Quest. Future Quest, really? Yeah. What was that like? That was uh, probably one of the most awesome experiences I've had in serving the Lord. What I mean by that is just seeing about a thousand young kids lifting their arms, worshiping Jesus is a sight to behold as a Christian. And if you are invested at, at all, it's seeing people come to know Jesus that would melt your heart. And yeah. it was just amazing. And you know what? This is one of our friends' companies that has been on our podcast. That's before. Greg Hendricks, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. That Kingdom Come from uh, Kingdom Collective. Hip Kingdom Collective. They right. do good work. The gentleman that we have with us today has a little experience just with the Future Quest. Just a little bit. Pastor Mike Van Meter, welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So when do you intercept Future Quest? How long has that been? My first yeah. future quest was one of the very first things I ever did. And so it was probably about 23, 24 years ago. I've been on staff at church for 21 years. So it was must have been 24 years ago. So it must have been like the second or yeah. maybe third future quest. Boy, the whole tone and flavor of it has changed over the years for me. The passion of the kids and them showing up to breakouts and really responding. Have you felt that way, Mike? Yeah, I think that when we first started, it was a pretty budget operation. I remember our big architectural feat was hanging CDs from the ceiling with like fishing line. It was like that was, <laughs> our, that was our big design work. And yeah, I think the kids over time, I think there's an expectation now at Future Quest that you're going to come and meet with the Lord. And I think a lot of the adults going into it, a lot of prayer beforehand mm -hmm. is that direction. It seems like for a good stretch now, God's been, it's been a really cool transformative event. I have just snapshots of it over the years. And particularly this year, I got to do a couple of breakouts. One was sharing your faith, surprise. And the kids really were very much into it. And afterwards, because they didn't want to ask it in front of everybody else, I had tough questions like my best friend has decided that she's trans and I don't use the pronoun she wants me to use. And there's this real conflict with that. And I thought, oh my gosh, the kids are dealing with things that I never, ever had to deal with. You find that to be true? Yeah. I, th I think that one of the things I try to tell parents whenever I get a chance is it really is different growing up now. People have always thought when I was a kid and it's kind of the same, but the kids today that deal with social media, dealing with having a phone in your pocket and technology, there's some things that have happened that I don't think we fully understand the full consequences. I think we're going to be realizing for a while that we've done some damaging things to our kids that are making it really hard to grow up normal or healthy. And so, yeah, I think that some of the things kids are dealing with today are things that we never really had to deal with in lots of different ways before. There's so much immediate access to information all over the world regarding things you have absolutely no control over with mass shootings and terrible atrocities throughout the world. And boom, you can get that information. How do you deal with it? It's yeah, right there. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence that it's really detrimental for kids too. If you look at 
uh, anxiety and depression rates. Yeah. They're higher than they were during the Great Depression, World War II. Things that are really tangible, measurable, the number of hospital visits for self-harm, suicide rates are up. Uh, all those things are, are way up and way up particularly among adolescent girls and adolescent boys, but even more starkly among adolescent girls. And, and a lot of it just seems like it started right around 2012 when the iPhone came out and social media became really big and Instagram and these kinds of things that make you really dissatisfied with your life or feel like you're missing out and everybody else is doing it different and you have to try to keep up. So there's some really alarming evidence of that our kids are in a crisis. Did you help start Micah 6-8 at Foothills? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... Okay, so that's been a cool ministry for me. I get to pop in and now it's, I, I guess, called Emmaus Road. But yeah. can you describe that, what the concept of that was? Yeah, I think that we saw these, the numbers of young adults that graduate high school as professing Christians and then go on to either a career or college or whatever they do in between. And within two years, three years are completely have walked away from the faith was really astronomical just across the church and we saw it in our own church kids that were leaders in our ministry all growing up in junior high and high school and then totally shipwrecking their lives abandoning the faith and so we wanted to give some kind of structure to the kids as they graduate high school they have this, all this newfound freedom all this newfound opportunity and energy and maturity we wanted to help shepherd them through that and so we started a, a, a program called micah 6 8 and in micah 6 8 it was really to help you discover what your purpose and calling is, and then also develop a stronger biblical worldview that yeah. is able to stand up to some of the tests and the challenges that the world is going to throw at you. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about you is you're a student. You dig into issues, you dig into the stuff, like the statistics that you're talking about. I trust that those are accurate yeah. statistics with you telling me. Just real quick, it's Jonathan Haidt is a uh, social scientist. If you want to follow up, he has a book called Coddling the American Mind and the Righteous Mind. And there's a, a an institute called the Fire Institute that has done a lot of this research. Not Christian stuff, but you want to fact check. That's who you go to. Cool. Good idea. And those, it'll be in the show notes. There, Matt's going, yep, we're all thumbs up. So did that part of being a student and digging into stuff, did that play a role in you coming to the Lord like a uh, McDowell kind of thing? Yeah, it didn't really. What happened was I grew up going to church. And I went to a Presbyterian church. It was mainline denominational church, but I wasn't a Christian. And I'm fairly confident not very many people that went to that church were Christians. If you were a real Christian, I don't know why you would go to that church. I never knew anything about having a relationship with God. It was like most of the sermons were about being a good person and that kind of thing. So it kind of was like social, cultural Christianity, but not real faith. And I got disillusioned with that when I was late high school and stopped going to church. And then I got a job when I was, I was 18 working at Nordstrom and my boss was Monica Hunter, who I believe has been on this podcast. Shout out Monica. She invited me to come over to breakfast and come to church. And I thought I've been to church before. And and um, so I, I I took her up on it. And I, I remember walking into Foothills and the church I grew up in was pews and hymnals and stained glass. And Foothills was like a warehouse with a guy with a Leonard Skinner t-shirt and people closing their eyes and raising their hands. And I had like two immediate reactions. My first reaction was, this is a cult for sure. <laughs> and um, And my second reaction was like, something is real here. Like the presence of the Lord hit me. And that was kind of a started a process where I was, my defenses were up, my antennas were up, but I was also curious. I wanted to know more and I trusted Monica and she was a, a good friend and a good boss. And so I kept coming, but I would live the rest of my life exactly how I'd been living it just in the world. And that went on for about nine months, 10 months and slowly God got my attention and got my heart. And I wasn't at that point in my life, I wasn't asking any meta questions about truth claims and that kind of stuff. And so I just slowly got, got a hold of me and I 
became more and more convinced that it was true. And I remember one Sunday I was listening to Miles McPherson and he told a story about going skydiving and being at the door of the plane. And he had to make a decision. Is he going to be in or out? Because once you step out of that plane, you can't get back in the plane. And I just knew he was talking to me. And if there was a point where I gave my life to the Lord, it was that, but it was kind of a slow process over, over a long time. But it wasn't because I, I got new information really. It was like God was just working on me and, and after me and, and that's really what it it sounds like and the reason i brought that up is because it sounds like what you put together with micah 6 8 and with these young adults you were that when you first gave your life to the lord so you're in college and you're having to have these conversations or at least wrestling with the ideas that that the professors are giving you yeah yeah and and so i lived with my buddies i had a room i had a house that we were all running together with four guys and they were all totally not saved and i was totally not saved and then when i started giving my life to the lord they did not understand it at all and it was kind of not respected it was just like where are you going all the time i had a girlfriend that we were really serious and god just in a series of a couple weeks i moved out i broke with my girlfriend i quit my job that i had that was not a good environment for me and so it was really weird and it's kind of like it was almost like god's grace like looking back on it, the lord just did it for me i went back to school after i had gotten saved and became a christian and i think that's where i had to deal with a lot of the conflicts where because i still thought like the world i had grown up in the world all of my early years had been spent just being informed by culture and my friends and public school and all the things around me. So I was saved, but I still thought like some in the world. I remember hearing, I would hear Mark and Dave preach sermons and just think, you guys are really old fashioned, man. Like they, <laughs> they believe that because they're old. And uh, and now I think like I might be a little to the right of Mark and Dave on some of these issues because I, I feel like there was a long process where God got a hold of my mind yeah. and helped me to start thinking like a Christian and thinking biblically. And so that process came about partly because when I was, I went back to college and I just remember very distinctly in several different ways in my life, but specifically at school, I had all these classes where the teachers were introducing and, and teaching from a clearly evolutionary humanistic worldview. And these are all really bright guys and PhDs and know a lot of information in their field. And they were teaching in such a way that was just like, if you don't believe this, if you don't accept this stuff, there was no room for faith. Like you were just really a dummy. And so I remember just being really discouraged and feeling like, man, I don't. I don't this am i an idiot is this true can i believe this and it kind of set me on a journey of trying to really study and learn and i ran into some people early some books early some authors early that really helped me see that the christian perspective not only is it true but it is far superior to any other view truth claims and that was really powerful for me in that same time there was another thing that happened i had a good friend who he helped me grow in my walk with the lord a lot and he started to fall away from the lord and he was getting to the new atheists, Sam Harris and Dawkins and Hitchens and all those guys. And so he was presenting these new, you know, these new questions, these new challenges. So then as I was walking with him and I wanted to sure up my own faith, but also my friend's faith is on the line. I started really studying a lot of this stuff and trying to think it through in, a, in an important way because it was now important personally. I had a friend who was struggling in this yeah. way. And so I think those two things were, had a big impact on just my my worldview and what I think is the importance of worldview and how to go about it. It's really important. The thing about it is people are built differently. And so their approach to sharing their faith is different. And you and I, I come from a similar background in the sense that I was in speech and debate in high school and college and competed and all of that. And so logic flow is something that's very important to me. 
And I think one of the things that contrasts our approach is on social media. So I'm very active in the business and to some degree the political community where I'm at. And I have a whole bunch of friends that are atheists or just confused. <laughs> like the most confusing thing for me is when an atheist is mad at God. I'm, let's walk through this <laughs> because right. if he doesn't exist, why are you so upset what's, about him? What's more typical than a, an atheist who's mad at God? Yeah, it's right. very typical. My approach has been different than yours when it comes to social media. Because there's parts of social media that I detest. I like seeing pictures of my grandchildren quite a bit. Some of them are in down and some of them aren't, but they're absolutely wonderfully adorable. But you have been a, a strong voice for faith with social media. You take a little bit different approach. I might have a one-on-one -on -one conversation that's very confrontational with somebody that I've earned the right to be heard. But I think you and a handful of other leaders that, that I really respect at Foothills and outside of Foothills speak for the faith there on that platform. So what's your take on that? What's your approach to it? Yeah, so I've been in, I think, probably more than my fair share of Facebook fights or whatever that is, whatever you want to call that. And and I am really intentional about it. I'll just preface it by saying there's lots of things I don't pay attention to. It takes a fair amount of time. And so I kind of have to pick and choose what I'm going to be involved in or not. But my audience is really grown up as a youth pastor. I've been, I was a junior high pastor for 21 years. And I just remember very distinctly feeling as a kid, being embarrassed of being a Christian. Like I was embarrassed that I knew my beliefs were incongruent with what was not acceptable in polite company it was mm. generally going to be frowned upon and people weren't going to agree or like it or whatever. And so I've always been really conscious and aware of all the people out there that are in that spot where they think they believe it, but they're not sure what to say. If somebody says this, I think you posted something on your Facebook recently, getting ready for future quests of what are you afraid people are going to ask? Like Questions what, what question? that Christians are afraid they'll get asked. And I think that there's a lot of Christians who like, what's the default to that? If you ask me and I don't know the answer, does that mean it's not true? Like, does that mean I, what I believe is, is not legitimate? And on some level that is, and I think I've, over the years, I think I've tried to work hard at finding the answers. And people would say things like, what about this? And I would think, oh no, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> and what if that is like the linchpin that my whole thing falls apart on? And then I would go look and study and find out those really smart, intelligent, bright people who have really good answers to those questions. And I thought, oh man, that's it. Like that's that, of course, like that makes so much sense. My audience on social media is very rarely the person I'm talking to. So I have lots of friends who are not Christians. Those relationships are valuable and important to me. I want to love people well. I want to be well-rounded. I don't want to just be in a Christian bubble. I want to love people from all over the place, but that's not typically who my primary audience is. So the person I usually have in mind is the person who's watching the conversation mm. and they're seeing someone bring up objections or challenges. And then I want to be able to present the biblical, well thought through argument to their question. And hopefully in a way that is compelling and interesting also makes you think, oh yeah, that's that makes sense to me. You know, I, I understand that. And so often on social media, you don't know who's paying attention, but I have people come up and talk to me later. Or if sometimes if you look at the likes and you think, oh, this is getting a much wider audience than certainly this little conversation. And so I think I've heard the objection a lot of times that like, do you really think you're going to change anybody's mind and, and whatever? And that's not usually who I'm after. I'm not usually trying to, I don't have a lot of confidence. I'm going to change the mind of the person I'm talking to necessarily. But the people who are paying attention, I think there's something 
important that's happening there. That's why I do it and what my audience is. For me, it is people are attracted because of different things. So there is a whole population out there, whether it's on social media or other ways that we communicate. And when something seems intelligent, something seems like, hey, that makes sense to me, and this other thing doesn't, maybe I better dig into that. It's That can be very, very attractional. At the same time, you're confronting absurd ideas. I've seen that happen in, in the broadness of who I'm connected with on Facebook, that they've been attracted in a different way, by a different voice. But I really appreciate that conversation going on, and I think, more of us need to do it, but more of us need to be equipped to do it. Yeah. So if you've got somebody that's listening to this and saying, hey, I don't think I know. And some of this I need to know, at least a little bit, to, to be in the conversation that's going on. How do you encourage them? What do you say to that person that wants to be better at that? Well, I think there's no easy way to do it. It's like if you talk to somebody, a lot of guys working with men, a lot of guys will say, I don't like to read. Well, okay, but there's just a lot of, things you're not going to get if you're not willing to think hard about something. A lot of things you can't get from a, an article. You need a book length idea. But the other part is when you love people, you want to help them. You want to have yeah. the right answers. You want to think through these things. You want to think deeply. People are complex. People are beautiful and deep. And so you want to be able to approach them just as intelligent people. So if you love people and people are asking questions and you want to be able to help them find the answers, find the truth. So I think there's two things. I think one, it comes out of actually just caring about people. You care about where people are at and what people believe. And then two, you're interested. You're interested in ideas. You're interested in, in things and you're willing to think them through and ask hard questions and challenging questions. When you realize that, again, that the Christian faith has the best answers, like, and the reason I say that just unapologetic, unequivocally, is it's true. Like yeah. the Bible is true. And Noah really did have an ark and he did, really did get two kinds of every animal. People want to think about how stupid that is and how dumb that is and show you the physics of how it doesn't match up. And I just want to say, look, that's it. the Bible is the truest, most legitimate, most real account of life and origin and history and philosophy and who we are. And it stands up well to everything else. And I think most Christians don't really know that or believe that yeah, right. you know they're kind yeah. of like yeah i, I kind of believe it but i don't know enough to support it or whatever so i think i think that wanting to present the lord to people that it makes sense it, and look we really are whether you believe it or not you are made in the image of god you are his image bearer whether you like it or not his commandments are true and his commandments are good and they bring life and they will help you they will produce life in you and so i think just believing that and then trying to sort through the parts where my mind has been conditioned or I've learned other things. How do I bring that to, to fruition? So let me ask you this, because most of the people, not everybody, but most of the people that are listening are not theologians and they're not, they wouldn't consider themselves apologists either. So you've done this with other things like Oaks ministry, which I thought was yeah. really cool. And you're the men's pastor at our yeah. church. How would you encourage a regular Christian to be prepared and to be equipped so that they can be unapologetic? I think there's a couple of things. I think one is if you don't need something, you don't care about it. So if you're not having conversations with people and you're not walking with people through hard times, I've dealt with kids for a lot of years and parents, a lot of times parents aren't concerned about discipline or aren't concerned about issues of sexuality until their kid is in crisis and then they're interested. So partly it's just being in 
the marketplace of ideas and people as you're talking to people and dealing with the issues they're dealing with and being willing to say, I think God has the answer to that. You know, your friend's marriage is struggling. Okay. What makes for a good marriage? What would God have them do? What is God's answer to that? I think so often we say, okay, well, I'll pray for you. Or we just give some answer like that when actually you have more to offer than that. And so I think sometimes the necessity is the mother of invention. If you need it, you're going to pursue it and go find it. And I think making the case of why you need it and why this is important. If you want God to use you in people's lives or to to be able to speak life into people, then it requires some knowledge. It requires knowing what what does God think about this? What is God's perspective on this? And really believing that that's the answer. Sometimes usually you first find that out for yourself. Like, okay, these are the questions I have. These are the, the trials and the challenges I have. And you begin to see how God is the answer to that. And then it opens up to where God is the answer to other people. So I think helping people to see that that need and then know that there are answers. I think most people approach life like a salad bar. And I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yeah. And the biblical worldview is a, it's a full meal, but it's one of the 10 course meals that a chef brings you out what you're going to eat next. God assigns everything and he's planned it all, how it works together. And so I think accepting it as a whole and then understanding how that applies to your life, I think is helpful for people to see and come to believe and then learn about and learn to enjoy and love. One of the, one of my favorite uncomfortable places to be over, over the course of my walk with the Lord is when somebody asks me a question and I say, you know what, that's a great question. And I'm not just blown smoke. That's a great question. And I had the same question myself. And this is what I found to be true for yeah. myself. And then you're not having a boxing match. Then it's the conversation, they hear the tone, and then there's an opportunity to go dig into it, whether it's in the Bible or if it's within some people like that you might recommend to people like, hey, this would be something that I think you should check into. Right. Do you have a short book list or a person list that would be helpful to people to go, hey, I'll go check that out? Yeah, I think my first introduction that shaped the way that I view the world was really Mark Hoffman. He has uh, four books now. I would highly recommend two of them to think about the world from a biblical perspective. The first one is Unlocking the Kingdom, which is the first book he ever wrote that was, I think, really good at just laying out biblical principles. The second one is On Earth as is in Heaven. It's a denser book. It's probably a harder read, but it gives the perspective of the kingdom of God and that God, God's not just in church. Like God owns everything. Yeah. It all belongs to him. And so that idea that it's all his and he has a plan for all of it then makes you want to find out what is his plan for all of it. And so on earth it is in heaven starts to lay out some of God's principles and for that. I think from there, another person that was really helpful to me was Oz Guinness, who is kind of a scientist. He was British. He's actually a, the heir of the Guinness family or one of the heirs of the Guinness family. Yeah. And he takes what's happening in the philosophical world and kind of some of the harder literature and kind of synthesizes it for people to be able to believe. So he had a book, Long Journey Home, that when I found it was a really valuable book of just helping walk out. Here's the three different main options you have for for worldviews, humanistic, evolutionary, the Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, that kind of stuff. And then the monotheistic, Judeo, Christian, Muslim worldviews that, and just shows it it's far superior, you know? And, and so that was helpful to me. I think Douglas Wilson, a lot of what he's yeah. written and the way that he approaches God's truth to bear on every level of society has been really useful and helpful to me. I could go on. There's a lot of people, but I would point people those three directions probably. Yeah, and I think these are jumping out of the intellectual, like smart Christianity plane, yeah. right? Just to take that jump. I know f a couple of things. One is on our website, the sent315.org website, 
a lot of those, especially Mark's books, are available and can be purchased there. Foothillschurch.org, boom, we got all of that as well. And we'll put them in the show notes. Mike, you're, you're very good at this. It's not just because you're a smart guy, but you make me think and you compel me to get better at that. What You got any ideas for the future where you might be able to help equip people even more in this area? Yeah, I think so. Our church is in transition. God has given us this great family to be a part of, this great church. He's given us these great leaders in Mark and Dave who are now moving towards kind of retirement. They're going to be in ministry as long as the Lord. Um, yeah. yeah, their keeps definition them here. of retirement is entirely different than a lot of people's, that's for sure. And so Neil's taken over as a senior pastor, and I'm going to be moving into more of a teaching pastor role. So I think my opportunities in that, I, w- I want to continue on the faithfulness of Mark and Dave to preach and teach the gospel. And I think it was Luther who had a quote that said, basically, if you preach the whole counsel of God, except for that one part that is the most objectionable at the moment, then you're not really teaching the whole counsel of God. And I think one of the things they've modeled is, hey, we're going to stand for the truth, whether it's popular, whether it's unpopular. And I think one of the things that happens is over time, when you're courageous and you stand with God is that God honors that. And I think that we can see at Foothills that God has really honored that. So I wanna keep that tradition alive. I wanna keep that in our DNA, that we're gonna hold fast the word of God, no matter what the world says, and we're gonna gonna stay on the narrow path. I know that you and I have had some conversation about it, and I think that Matt would agree this brief time that we've had has been really helpful. And I think um, that more of this is something that you could offer And so we've talked a little bit about it, but are you thinking about maybe your own podcast so you can help people with this? Yeah. So I'm a big podcaster. I really like to podcast and I found a lot of such good content out there for Christians to grow and sermons and podcasts and things that have been really profitable for me to learn and grow and challenge. And so I think there's a place for us to do that, even maybe do what I was saying Oz Guinness does. He takes some of these more philosophical, deeper ideas and synthesizes them down to like, just make them digestible and interesting to the regular people. And I think that's, I think God's gifted me in that a little bit. And I think that I would like to lean into that. And I think certainly a podcast could be a way to do that. We're just trying to figure out the details. Oh, I got hurt? six kids. I don't know if you knew that. Oh so yeah. You, oh no. You're doing podcasts, you get rich. Yeah. Oh good. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. craziness. You were just rolling. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be so happy. They'll be so happy they to find out. They will be so happy. Well, Mike, and as we're wrapping it up, one of the things that I'd like to give you an opportunity to do, you speak into the lives of men. So the women can hear this part of it, but what would you say the most important message that you could give to today's Christian men? One of the things I've been saying for a while now is that as I look around our culture and society and I see some of the things that are just heartbreaking, some of the things that that I think all of us who are paying attention are just mourning and lamenting that have happened to our country and our culture. I would say that it primarily falls at the feet of men. I'd say like this, men are the problem. And that's the bad news. And the good news is that men are the solution. So I think that men leading is going to happen no matter what. Here's something Douglas Wilson says, is that the dad's the most important person in the family. Um, if if he does it, if he leads well, he's the most important person. And if he doesn't even show up, he's the most important person. Yeah. The family's going to go where the dad goes. And I think as we synthesize down our culture, if we just boil it down, there's a lots of different parts of that, and you could reduce that in different ways. But if we just reduce it down to the very essence, uh, our culture is going to go where the men go. 
And if the men stand up and lead and are faithful and love their wives well and lead their their households, God's going to establish us and bless us and have his hand on us. And if we don't, we're going to be cursed. We're going to see what we see now. We're going to see mass incarceration. We're going to see drug addiction. We're going to see homelessness. We're going to see abortion. All these kinds of things all are downstream from men not taking responsibility for themselves and for their family. And so as we submit ourselves to God and we say, okay, Lord, this is important. I'm not going to fail you in this. I'm going to I'm going to seek you and I'm going to do what you would have me do. I think that's when you start to see production and beauty and wholeness and health and goodness. I, I say I, I've got involved in men's ministry because I did junior high ministry for 20 years. And I see how important men are. I see yeah. important, how important dads are. And as a youth pastor, I could be the greatest youth pastor and run the greatest youth group in the entire world. And it won't make a dent if the dads aren't stepping up and leading right. the way they need to. So. Well, could you wrap us up by praying for those guys? Yeah, I'd like Thanks. to. Father, we love you, God. We already ask God that you would be gracious to us, Lord. God, you describe yourself as being long-suffering, Lord, and full of mercy, God. Jesus, you described yourself as the father who, when he saw his wayward son a far way off, he ran to him and fell on him and kissed him and put a ring on his finger and a coat on his shoulders, Father, and welcomed him home. And so, Lord, we take solace in that, God. We take comfort in that, God. We ask you, Lord, would you give us a similar kind of grace, God? And um, Lord, I want to pray, God, for the men who are listening to this, Lord, the men who are fathers and dads, Lord, the men who are going to be fathers and dads, the men who are sons, Lord. Would you help us, God, to walk faithful to you, God? Would you visit us, God? Would you convict our hearts, Lord, that we would want you and you more than anything else, God? And Lord, would you help us to submit ourselves and make our way straight, God? And God, as you move and glorify yourself through us, Lord, would the world see it, God, and, and desire you? We love you. Yes, we do. Father, thank you for, uh, for truth. And thank you that we're sent with truth and love. Mm -hmm.